In this podcast, Rachel Azan, practice advisor at Safe Lives, talks to Safe Lives pioneers Catherine and Georgia, who both experienced domestic abuse in the home as children. They reflected on what it might be like for children at this time and what those around them could do if they are worried, as well as the importance of reaching in and not being a bystander. So welcome to Catherine and to Georgia, who are two of our Safe Lives pioneers. Um, Thank you so much for joining me to record this podcast, um, where we're going to be um, talking about what the experience is going to be like at the moment for children living with domestic abuse in the family home and think about what are some of the things that we could all do to kind of reach out and support young people. So welcome. Um, So, Catherine, there's a lot of worry about the impact of the current situation on families experiencing domestic abuse in relation to kind of needing to stay at home, being isolated together. Um, What do you think it would be like for children and young people living with domestic abuse just now? I think it really depends on on their situation and everyone will be obviously experiencing it differently. When I think about what it would have been like for me, it could have gone two ways. I would have really loved that my mum was at home with me and and that she wasn't at work all the time. Um, And that would have really helped me feel safer because things tended to escalate while she was at work and and for when she got back. Um, I think depending on what was happening at the time, we may have been able to use the lockdown situation to keep my dad out of the house. Uh, And maybe we would have thought about using the police to enforce that. But I think it's probably likely that my dad would have tried to insist that he be locked down with us. Um, At various times, he was homeless um, or living in caravans. And I think he might have said that he had nowhere else safe to go. And we would have felt like there was no option but to let him come and be with us. Um, I did actually speak to my mum about this the other day, about how how she thought it would have panned out. And, And one of the things that she mentioned was that because he was a drug addict that she knows that he would have had to have left the house at various times Um, and so that might have given us some space or a bit of um, a safe space where maybe we could have sought some help at that at that point or got him out of the house. Um, I suppose I feel really worried for children who are isolated in the home with an abuser during lockdown Uh, We didn't have a garden and I would often run away for hours at a time and and go and hide in the library or or maybe even just go into the countryside and hide out. So I really don't know how to cope with nowhere to go to. Um, From that point of view, I think it's important that we let children know they can leave the house if it's not safe and that it is okay to call 999. Thank you. Georgia, what do you think? I think for me, in my situation, um, you know, I, I used to live on a farm uh, with my mum my and my stepdad and my stepbrother. And, um, you know, obviously farmers are classed as key workers. So my stepdad would have still been working um, and potentially my mum, as uh, she worked, was the manager at a dental practice. Um, so they may have had to do emergencies some days. But it would mean that the majority of the time she would be at home. Um, and funnily enough, the lockdown actually wouldn't be that dissimilar to school holidays for me um, as... I used to, in the school holidays, I used to spend every single day at home. I wouldn't leave the farm. Um, and, you know, our nearest neighbour was over, pretty much a mile away um, and we hardly ever spoke to them. So I would literally spend the whole of the week or two weeks or however long the holiday was locked away in the farm. Um, but the, the only difference would be that my mum would be there. Um, and it would probably have caused a, a very tense environment, um, especially, you know, as my stepdad was very, very 
uh, moody and he would you know constantly use the excuse oh well um i'm working you're not stop being lazy da, 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 da. just all the typical things but um yeah it, it would definitely be a difficult situation to be in so georgia what would you say to those children and young people about what they could do either in terms of coping with the situation um but also maybe reaching out for support don't be afraid to call 999 or anyone that you need to access for support you know police are still coming out they are still working as business as usual and you know there's always going to be people there to support you uh children do often feel bound and gagged and threatened they are often threatened that if they say anything that there will be severe consequences telling someone is not going to result in those consequences as the situation will be sorted out yeah thank you catherine yeah, I, I really agree with what George has said there. That's, it's just really crucial that they that they can speak to somebody. Um, I think that if they can talk to their mum or if they've got siblings about what's going on as a start. Um, I know in my situation, it wasn't really ever something that we talked about as a family. It was just like we all experienced it and kind of coped with it on a day to day basis. But we never really sat down and said, OK, this is this is what you need to do if this happens or if things kick off. Um, and I think actually that would have been good for us to talk with, you know, maybe me and my brother or, or me and my mum. So if they can start to open that conversation and, and think about putting together like a safety plan with their family members um, and really crucial, like George has said, that part of that should be that it's OK to ring 999 and not not waiting till a crisis to do that. Um, when I was a kid, we knew that we could phone 999, but it was only ever as a last resort when things had got really bad. Um, and I think, um, like Georgia said, really, children are told that 999 is for emergencies only, but we need to let them know that it's OK for them to ring at an earlier stage. Um, I think another really uh, crucial source of support for children might be like their friends. Um, my two best friends knew what was going on, but I begged them not to tell their parents because I was really worried that if their parents found out, they wouldn't let their kids play with me anymore or come round to my house. Um, and I think friends are a crucial element of support for children and young people. And so it would be really good to get a message out to them if we could, like what to do if you're worried about a friend and letting them know that it's OK to tell someone. Um, I think a lot of children probably living in lockdown at the moment will still have access to their friends online or, or via their mobile phone. So this could be a good way for them to seek help safely. Yeah, so it sort of sounds like you're both saying like like that children might have already their own routes of support that they had before this. And so kind of important to keep in contact with people where you can, who might know what's going on. But actually, there's times where it's all right to reach out. And I think that's a really good point about police being the kind of an emergency because it's sort of really hard to know what that means, doesn't it? So um, I guess it's sort of something for services to do as well about kind of putting that message out so kind of children, young people know that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Catherine, you started to talk about this, but uh, right about what kind of friends and family and neighbours could do. So there'll be different people that are around um, around a family. Um, what do you think? Are there, is there sort of something particular you think they could do right now? I think 
a really crucial thing is don't be a bystander. If you're worried about someone you know, if you were worried about them anyway before this lockdown situation, then please check in on them and, you know, try and do that safely, obviously. But um, you might be able to offer to help with the shopping or even asking them for help yourself. Uh, with some shopping so that it, they've got an excuse to go out of the house uh, and then that might give them a bit of a safe space for you to be able to talk to them or for them to be able to talk to someone. Um, if you hear or see something that's worrying you please don't hesitate to call the police they will know what to do um, and don't worry about whether you're doing the right thing um, by letting somebody know what what you're worried about that could save someone's life so it's really important that you that you take that action. Yeah thank you. Yeah, I mean, all I can do is reiterate uh, that, really. Um, you know, it is up to friends, family and neighbours to be keeping tabs on everyone around them. Um, you know, it's it's the responsibility of the whole, you know, estate, neighbourhood area. That is your responsibility in this lockdown to be keeping tabs on people in because it is a very, very dangerous time for those who are living in uh, abusive situations. Do you think there's particular ways friends could reach into each other like is there kind of you know if they're worried about saying the wrong thing do you think there's ways that they can do that more gently to just maybe it's kind of checking in quite generally so it's not being specific if they're worried about what that reaction might be but just sort of opening that up to give people an opportunity to talk maybe yeah I mean you know friends are well we're in contact with each other especially people you know people my age being 16 we we check in with each other you know constantly on snapchat and instagram etc but um you know just drop in with your friends just send them a message how are you doing today how did you sleep last night you know uh what, what you what are your plans for the day um you know just just the general questions and just if you know that person well enough you will know what they you know how they are by the way they're typing and the way they're texting and their mood um, and if you sense that any little thing is wrong, do not be afraid to probe. You know, you need to push and see if it's anything relating to family. You know, it might just be that they've had a, a, a rough night's sleep or they were up watching YouTube or something until the early hours of the morning. But, you know, don't be afraid to just ask them and nudge them and try and get some answers out. Yeah, thank you. So, um so Georgia, we've sort of talked about friends and family and neighbours, but what about professionals and services? Um, I suppose the one that we mainly think about isn't it, is children, young people aren't in school in person at the moment. Um, and a lot of services aren't seeing people face to face either. Um, so there's not so much visibility, I guess, on children, and young people. Um, do you think there's anything professionals could do in this situation? Um, I mean, I know with my school um, that the vulnerable children within the school, you know, they, they are getting phone calls um, back from school, you know, every once a week, twice a week, just to check that they're doing OK and their family's doing OK. Um, and, you know, on, say, for example, on our school website, there's a support section, uh, you know, with a, with a worry box. And if you've got any concerns of any kind, you can, you know, put it into the worry box and that gets sent to one of the pastoral team at school who will then, um, ref you know, look at it and you can still go into school to book a, you know book an appointment and go in to speak to one of the pastoral staff if you really really need to and I think that's what schools need to be offering they need to be looking out for all of their students and they you know they need to be looking out for the ones that aren't on the radar you know the ones that haven't got the problems well the ones that they believe haven't got the problems because most of the time it's the kids who are really really studious and do loads of, of work and get their heads down they're often the ones that have got the most problems going on yeah, absolutely. So kind of keeping an eye on everybody and not just 
um, the kids maybe that have been more in the sort of spotlight in that way, I suppose. What about you, Catherine? Yeah, I, again, I really agree with, with what George has um, said there. So I think schools at the moment are really still a key service. Um, you know, pretty much all schools have set up online education, so are kind of in contact quite regularly with children through those portals that they're using. Um, and I think, you know, schools and teachers will be aware of the children they were worried about previously. So it'd be really good if they can think about ways they can check in on those children safely and creatively. Um, so maybe they want to set up a code word with them or arrange a welfare check under the cover of food parcels. Um, I saw on the news recently that one head teacher was going round with food parcels to all the children in his school. And that was just also giving him a way to have to, you know, from a safe distance, but to at least check in on those children that, that aren't getting that kind of daily um, contact with a teacher. Um, I think, you know, this really chimes with me because um, one of the ways that I coped as a child was throwing myself into schoolwork and school felt like a really safe place for me. And I would have really struggled with not being at school and not seeing my friends. Um, I would have felt really unsafe and trapped at home. Um, but I don't think that anybody, um, any of the teachers would have suspected that there was something going on at home for me. I was a straight A student um, with really good attendance. Um, but I think in this situation, for me, um, during the lockdown, my schoolwork might have started to suffer. Um, and that might have been a clue that um, something was going on at home and maybe the teachers could have picked up on that. So a bit like what Georgia said really was, you know, don't just focus on the children who kind of, you know, are struggling, but think about any change of behaviour for, for your other students who are normally quite studious um, because you know I could work really well at school but I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have had that same environment at home to be able to complete all the work um, and so yeah that would have been out of character for me and something that they could have possibly picked up on um, so yeah I suppose I was also thinking about other ways they might be able to make contact so whether they can do like Skype sessions with children uh, under the guise of homeschooling, whether they can kind of have that face to face contact through through Skype. Um, yeah. And then I guess I suppose as a kid, I was really worried about my dad going to prison or or that I might be taken into care. So I didn't tell any professionals what was happening and to me until until my work started to suffer at college when I was 17 and it was only the thought of like failing my schoolwork that eventually led me to disclose to a teacher that I was close to and I think that uh, it's really important that professionals reach in to children and ask the question as I know that I wouldn't have voluntarily spoken to somebody. That's really important, isn't it? Because I suppose there's, and I guess at the moment with coronavirus having an impact on everyone, like a teacher could be, oh, well, that kid's, you know, normally does all their work, does their homework, really attends everything. That's dropped off. It's probably because of the coronavirus. And it's important yeah. not to make those assumptions, isn't it? And do that kind of checking, ideally, I suppose, with all children, but certainly ones where you notice a change in behaviour and to ask them and ask them in a way that's, open and not kind of closing that off um, and that's a real skill sometimes isn't it it takes somebody to be just genuinely interested and curious around what's going on for that for that young person to just check in and not make assumptions yeah and I think that brings up for me as well just the, the point about language and um, you know domestic abuse 
language, you know, it doesn't, a lot of children won't relate to the terms domestic abuse. Um, I certainly didn't when I was a child. Um, I didn't really think that that was something that my mum was experiencing. Um, I thought that, you know, that my mum, that my dad was a drug addict and that everything else kind of fell out of, of that. And the violence my mum was experiencing just seemed another part of that, really, not I wouldn't have said that we were victims of domestic abuse at that time. It wasn't until I started working in the sector that that occurred to me that she was a high risk victim of domestic abuse. So I think it's really important around the language and being explicit as well um, and kind of, um, uh, you know, making sure that the question's obvious and that they know that's what you're asking and that, you know, that that they know it relates to them. I don't know, Georgia, how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as we are finding out through different surveys and stuff, children are not relating to the term domestic abuse. Um, they are relating to, you know, the terms toxic relationships uh, and it's, you know, et cetera. Um, and we must make sure that we are being clear in what we mean and that they are going to understand what is exactly what is being asked of them. And I think as well, um, don't just ask once. And like, I think almost you might ask someone and you might, they might not want to disclose at that time. But if you never ask again, um, you know, like so sometimes I think maybe a professional might be relieved when they get a non-disclosure because it's like, oh, you don't have to do it. You know, they don't have to take any action. But it's really important that you don't take a non-disclosure as like, you know, as fact, really, I guess, I think it will take children a few times of being asked and asked kind of in different ways. So if you if you have those worries, then please do act on them and keep asking the question. Another important thing just to, to mention is, um, you know, if if any child of, of any age or, you know, background comes and tells you that something is happening in their home do not ignore them do not brush them off because the majority of the time if a child opens up to, has the courage to open up to you and tell you that something is going on and you brush them off and tell them that they're lying or anything like that they will not you know they will probably never tell anyone again yeah that's really important isn't it thank you georgia because um, the courage it takes to reach out. I mean, as you guys have been describing, that there's that fear of what will happen, isn't that? Whether there's consequences for the person who's being abusive, whether there's consequences to you if you're taken into care. But, you know, there's sort of so much fear, isn't there, about what the service response would be. So the courage for someone to say if, if things aren't OK, you know, and then not to get a response that they need would just be absolutely heartbreaking, wouldn't it? It could be devastating for them. The other thing that I was wondering about as well, I'd be good to get your thoughts on, is um, about kind of how young people are viewed. Um, so say say if a young person um, didn't feel safe at home and was sort of trying to get some time out um, and then, you know, a neighbour or police or somebody kind of saw them and was questioning them about, well, why are you out? What are you doing? Is this an essential kind of trip out? Is it, have you been out too long? I wonder whether the way that young people can be viewed sometimes is that that's being kind of bad behaviour and that they're doing that because they don't want to follow the rules or something like that, or actually they might be, um, might not be safe to go home and that that's part of their sort of safety plan, I guess, is to have some time out. Um, do you think that could be a kind of risk at the moment? Definitely. I, uh, you know, a lot of antisocial behaviour sort of reports and views and X, Y and Z, um, you know, they are surrounding people who, come from abusive situations um, and you know a lot of the time k 
kids are misunderstood so you know for example the kid in class who's the joker and you know or not not always acts up but is always up for having a laugh and a bit of a giggle and does mess around a little bit you know that might be because they are massively overcompensating for you know the way they feel and trying to throw people off and thinking you know oh well this is so you know horrible I feel awful but I'm going to just completely overcompensate but then they always get in trouble at school um instead of someone actually trying to read through the behavior and read through the lines and say well actually no this this kid's going through some awful stuff and this is just a, a mask yeah yeah I think we've heard some reports already in some areas that the that parents are being fined when their children are out um you know out for longer than they're supposed to or not for one of the required reasons and I just would ask really that professionals and and neighbors and bystanders you know have a bit of curiosity about that and don't just assume the worst of those children I think again going back to my own situation as a kid I you know I probably would have abided by the rules but my brother you know responded quite differently and he he would have been out definitely with his friends and um, probably would have been one of those who was getting into trouble um, and just the thought of my mum being fined for for my brother not being able to stay um stay indoors just that would have just been an extra pressure on our family that would have just caused more harm to us it would have really struggled with the finances and anyway so just really like for professionals I guess when you're seeing children out um and you know don't assume the worst and maybe uh, ask the question check is everything okay at home and, and do a welfare check I think yeah, that could be that one time, couldn't it, that somebody, you know, with the right question could be that where they feel able to to say what's happening. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the other things and we talked about this before um, when we were talking about this podcast was um, about the kind of challenges like you both have described for um, what you would normally be able to do. So in some ways, things being quite similar, being used to being living in a controlling situation, but potentially having that you know be worse at the moment but also the coping mechanisms that you would normally have like being able to get out of the house and that sort of stuff um that that would be more tricky and I suppose um you know I, I suppose it's kind of you want children to be empowered to be able to still use those coping mechanisms as much as they can not that obviously would be promoting that people um break all the rules and that sort of stuff but that they've got to try and find ways for things that really help them cope with their with the situation and with their like well-being that they sort of still try and find ways to do that I mean it's going to be the reality is that this lockdown is going to be rough for anyone who's in an abusive situation be that child adult whoever and um, you know unfortunately as much as there are lots of things that can be done such as calling the police etc it's still going to be a rough ride um, whatever happens and you know just sit tight hold on and grit your teeth and you will get through it and then you know if you cannot do something or cannot get out of the situation during lockdown then you will have to sit tight and hold on and you'll get out of it soon enough yeah I think I agree I think you know having some kind of safety plan in place would be useful and it might make you feel a bit more in control of the situation as well if that is possible to do um, you know, you might not be able to write that down, but whether you can have a think as a child, like what what you'll do um, when things get tough, you know, where you can go in the house, 
um, whether there is some way you can go outside um, to get get some air and, and take some time out. Um, but yeah, just remembering that um, that you can phone the police and that they will respond. Um, and that there are other you know support services out there as well that that you can speak to um, online. Yeah, and we'll put some links um, to kind of go along with the podcast for um, different sorts of support services, whether that's like domestic abuse or mental health or um, sort of children specific. Um, so finally, then, what is the key message that you you want people to hear that you want people to take away from this podcast? Um, Catherine, I'll start with you. I think so. The the key message is that there are children experiencing this right now and we need to find a way to reach them. And we've all got a role to play in that. So whether you're a professional, whether you're a neighbour, a, a school friend of that child or, or a family member, I just really want people to understand um, that experiencing abuse in the family home as a child will have a huge impact on that person as they grow up. Um, my brother and I were both severely impacted by what we went through. So so if you're worried about someone, please just take some action now. Um, and if you're a child listening to this, please let someone know what's happening if you can. Uh, just like we said before, the police and the support services will respond and they will help you and your family get safe. Thank you. And so, Georgia, what's, what's the key message you want people to hear? Um, I think the key message for me is do not be a bystander. You know, if you are if you know that something is happening and you ref and you refuse to to take any sort of action whatsoever and something serious happens, then you do have some sort of responsibility in that. It is everyone's responsibility now to take, you know, take responsibility for the people around you. We have nothing else to do. We are in lockdown. We're spending more time than we ever are you know, talking to neighbours across the fence or across the road, you know, make sure you're keeping an eye on those neighbours. You know, too many domestic homicide reviews are saying that neighbours knew about the abuse but didn't do anything. And, you know, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be having that sort of issue at all. People should be taking responsibility and pointing out and standing up when they see an injustice. I agree. Thank you both very, very much. Thank you, Rachel.